But I want to go to the word of the Lord in Proverbs 15, verse 6, the A clause. It says, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. Everybody say treasure. But in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. Proverbs 21, verse 20. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Turn to someone and say, God wants our house to be anointed. Would you do that? Amen. And then this troubling phrase, but a foolish man squanders it. Foolish man squanders it. He wastes it. And everyone has treasure of some kind in their lives. But not everyone recognizes the value of what they have while they have it. Did you know that? The old saying says, you'd never miss the water until well runs dry. You don't realize what you had until you lose it. And because of that, foolish people squander and very frequently end up losing what was meant to be a treasure that they would enjoy for years and years to come. They lose things that are valuable. And if I could paraphrase this verse, what this verse is telling us is it really matters how you look at the things in your life. You better train yourself to look at a thing properly because you can get hung up on the negatives and not even see the values. I want to speak about that today. In this series on your home, your castle, I want to talk about the treasure in your house. Everyone say the treasure in my house. Father, I pray that you would visit with us today how we need you as the song went a while ago and the one before it, that you're so faithful. You're the same God now that you were then. And we ask you to open your word to our understanding that we might be able to receive from the word of God that special importation of instruction and truth Make our minds perceptive and able to understand what you're saying in a way that goes beyond just head knowledge, but gets down into our spirit like your word can do. And Lord, help us to grasp it, the fundamentals of it, the basics of it, and apply it in our lives that we might experience the transformation that your word can bring that no one else's word can bring. This we ask for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, amen. 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 By the way, you guys, y'all staying cool? It has been hot. Now, all of those of you that are complaining, come January or February, remember this. Okay? I'm a southerner, not just by birth and by calling. That is, God called me here, and I was born in the South. I'm also a Southerner by choice. Amen. I didn't put up with a little heat. That cold, oh my goodness. So think about that during these these terrible hot days. Hottest July, I understand, on record. Is that what they said? But back to the subject. Treasure in your house. When I was a kid, I was raised in Lake Charles, Louisiana. How many here from Lake Charles? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Hello, folks. 
How you doing, Shaq? Amen. Anybody else? Amen. There's always somebody here from Lake Charles. Well, then you know where Contraband Bayou is. Amen. I was raised not far from there. There's a story about a French pirate named Jean Lafitte who put Lake Charles on the map because he went all over the Caribbean, all over the Gulf, all throughout that whole region down toward uh, the Latin American countries and, and up along the coast. He went all through that region and he was a buccaneer. He would capture ships, overtake them, capture them, steal their treasure, imprison their crew members, their passengers. Jean Lafitte sailed up into Contraband Bayou, and that's how it got its name. And it is reported that he buried some of his treasure there. As a child, that fascinated me. I wanted to be the guide to discover the treasure. Anybody else ever have a dream like that? Amen. Every child in this place has dreamed about something like that. And you know, some people still think about it even though they're grown. They still dream dreams. They don't leave those behind in childhood. And some of them, they find treasure. Scuba tank on their back. They scour ocean depths using sonar and all kinds of things. And, and they found magnificent treasure. Mel Fisher, for example. Treasure worth hundreds of millions off the coast of Florida. People are out there right now as hot as it is in the Phoenix, Arizona area looking for the lost Dutchman mine while we're in this building right now. They, they don't give up. There's something about all of us that we would love to be able to find and we're intrigued by the idea of discovering treasure. And yet, sometimes it can be right at our doorstep, right under our feet and we don't know it. Several years ago in Nashville, Tennessee, a man by the name of Michael Sparks, this is a true story, by the way, walked into a thrift shop and spotted a basket of rolled up posters over in the corner. And one of them was yellowed with age, so he was intrigued by the posters. And the one that was yellowed with age, he picked up, it had a tag on it that said it was for sale for $2.48. He enrolled it, and it was a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Obviously not the real one, right? Nicholas Cage has that if you watch the movie. Amen. But he was intrigued by the poster, so he bought it and brought it home and put it up. And some of his friends came over and they happened to notice it. And they said to him that it looked really old. He said, yeah, I guess so. They said, man, you need to have this thing researched and evaluated. You can be appraised. There's a traveling auction, antiques auction here in town. Go have it appraised. Because notice it's written on parchment and not paper. And he did. And no, it wasn't the original Declaration of Independence. But it was a handwritten copy that was one of only 200 done in 1820. By the man who was then serving as the Secretary of the United States of America. And who would go on five years later become our sixth president. His name was John Quincy Adams. Mr. Adams wrote these copies and sent them around. There were only 23 states at the time, but he sent them around to the 23 states so that the citizens of the United States of America could become acquainted with the kind of government that we have here. Well, 
They took that old rolled up copy of the Declaration of Independence and put it up for auction at Rainer's, a well-known auctioneering firm that specializes in selling historical artifacts and it sold for, are you ready? You're already sitting down, but are you ready? At that thing that, that sold for, that he bought for $2.48, sold for $477,650. How would you like to find that in your garage? Interestingly, when the story hit the news, there was a man who heard it on his radio. He was a pipe fitter in Nashville, and he on weekends... He worked in his garage on bicycles and he was working in his garage and he heard the news on the radio. And guess what? He had had for years an old yellowed faded copy of the Declaration of Independence on his garage wall that he just liked. And he had bought it at a garage sale 10 years before for pennies. And he had recently gotten married and he and his wife Linda had gone through the house because she didn't want to live like bachelors just live. And so they went through the house and to spruce up the place that were getting rid of things that were just clutter. And they pointed, she pointed to the yellow copy of the Declaration of Independence. And they put that among the stuff that they brought to a local thrift shop. The same thrift shop where Michael Sparks walked in and saw it rolled up in a corner and bought it. And later sold it for $477,650. Now Stan took it good naturedly. Stan Caffey was the name of the the pipe fitter that worked on bicycles in his garage. Good thing. That's a pretty big test for a marriage right out the gate, isn't it? (laughs) If it can survive that, my prediction is they're going to make it. Amen. My crystal ball works pretty good on that one. But it was the price he paid for not recognizing the value of what he had in his house. We all have treasures in our lives. The problem is many times we do not recognize the value of what we have. And the reason that some people are happier than others has nothing to do with situations or circumstances. Literally nothing. It has to do with their ability to appreciate the treasures that are in their lives and not focus on the negatives. Amen. If you focus on the negatives, it doesn't really matter how many treasures you have. You'll never be content. So the secret to a great life is not to get more stuff. It's to recognize the value of the things that are already there. That becomes the foundation for the life you need to live. And I want to talk about several things today as we continue. This is foundational in this series because I'm going to continue this series on your home, your castle for several weeks. And this message will help be a part of the foundation for it. Andrew preached a great message on it. This subject, your home, your castle last week. But I want to talk about several things that we will discuss. Number one, you have a treasure in your marriage. If you don't right now, you can. Because marriage is meant to be a gift from God. And it takes effort to make a marriage work. The Bible says this about 
the treasure that you have in marriage. If a man finds a wife, he has found a good thing. That's what the scripture says. The Bible also says that a, the value of a good wife is far above rubies, plural. Far above the value of gems. But for you to be able to understand that value, you have to first recognize it and then be willing to work to gain the benefit of it. It's important that you take the time. I'll just say this up front. To all those of you that are not married yet, take the time to get to know the person you're marrying. Boy, what you don't want to do is end up saying I do to somebody else that says maybe. Think about it. Amen. That's why you need to listen to people before you get married. Oh, but you don't know. I have fallen in love. Well, pick yourself up. Amen. Don't just lay there. And you better especially listen to your parents. Oh, I know they're old. They're old fashioned. They're not hip. But they've had years learning to read people. But regardless of your circumstance, you can try to make the most and you can work at it. The problem is it really takes two to make a marriage work. And I want to acknowledge up front that sometimes marriages don't work out. And my heart aches for those who go through the trauma of that. And the reason they don't work out is not because one side doesn't want it to work out. Oftentimes, I mean... The other side, it's the other side that is not willing to work at. And so you find yourself investing time in something that the other side doesn't care about. And really, there is a biblical standard and permission for divorce, as Pastor Andrew mentioned. And I've got I've to tell you that that's absolutely true. But I also know that impossible situations have been redeemed by the power of the blood in the name of Jesus Christ in prayer. I really need to hear a better amen than that. Amen. You see, many times people don't realize that what it takes to marry, make a marriage wonderful is another word that also starts with a W. It's only four letters long. To make a marriage wonderful, you have to work at it. Amen. Good marriages don't just happen. They are the result of making a commitment to work through the difficulties and the hard times together. And instead of allowing them to separate you, allow them to draw you together. Amen. Ask people who have been on the front lines in battle. Might not even like each other back at quarters, the base. But after you've been shot at together for a few times and somebody pulls you out, all of a sudden you feel differently about that person right now because the stuff you went through drew you together. And I find that people consistently underestimate the value of the treasure they are married to. They do. And they overestimate the value of things. If you have a treasure in your marriage, you need to preserve it. Can I hear somebody say amen? You say, it's easy for you to say. Well, Jerry and I just clocked 55 years. Hooray for me. Hooray for you. We did it. Amen. We made it. 
55 years. Amen. Put that photo up. I know you don't think we were ever young. (laughs) Now, she didn't know that was coming. Can I stay with anybody tonight? Y'all got a doghouse I can sleep in? We don't have a dog. She didn't know that was coming. Amen. 55 years we've been together. And has it been a challenge at times? She'll be the first to tell you yes. She's been easier to live with than I have. I'm old enough now I can admit that. <laughs> you know, I, I, one of the things I learned is not everything is worth fighting over. It's not. And one of the great mysteries in life is how you can fi- find someone, fall in love with them. They mean the world to you, get married, and then promptly shift your attention to things and away from them. Amen. I still, from a time to time, get emails that are junk emails. How many of you get junk emails that are offensive and you don't even like? Now, a lot of you said amen. Well, I'll tell you where a lot of that comes from. You fill out a registration or something, information online, and they sell your data to a company. And they distribute it to all these different things. And some of it is just vulgar and rude. I've never in my life ever signed up for anything like that. But I have signed up for other things and given data and then promptly. And I started tracking it. It started happening after I would sign up for something. These days I will not sign up for anything. I'm not going to do it. Because I started getting all of these emails like like this. Would you like to have a Russian bride? I don't speak Russian. And they don't even know what gumbo is in Russia. They much less know how to fix it like my wife does. I'm not interested in a Russian bride. I got one I've been married to for 55 years. She's Kajan. She's Cajun. Amen. And by the grace of God, we'll make it all the way through to the end. You have a treasure in your marriage. But very often people don't recognize the treasure. What you have to learn to do in the course of your marriage together is not only work, but pray. Pray. Put things in the hands of God. Learn to trust God. Face things together. Amen. Second, you have a treasure in your children. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these today because we're going to go into them in more detail later. But you have a treasure in your kids. Listen to today's world, you don't. Children are a burden. That's what they say now. Unwanted fetal tissue. Anybody ever hear that term before? Right up until birth. And some are advocating getting rid of it even after birth. Up to three weeks after That's insane. Okay, if three weeks, why not six? And if six weeks, why not six years? And if six years, why not 60 years? And we wonder about the dramatic depreciation of the value of life where you've got kids running all over the place, shooting, killing each other, following folk into 7-Elevens or pulling up behind somebody that just got home at night. And it's insane the world we live in right now. 
That's because they devalued life. Your kids are not a burden. Listen to this. They're a gift. Psalms 127 verse 3. Behold, children are an heritage from the Lord. That's an inheritance. God gave you an estate. That's what that means. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And this is what you need to know. Your kids are the key to God fulfilling the promises he has made to you in your life that regard your destiny. Your kids are the key to fulfilling your destiny. You see, most people dream dreams that are too small. You need to dream dreams that are multi-generational. That you will not live long enough to fulfill yourself. You need dreams so big as can take your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. To fulfill them. But unfortunately, society is not teaching us to do that. Kids are a burden. They get in your way. Way of your career. Way of whatever else you want to do. No, that's not true. Kids are a gift from God and you need to value them. Amen. Because if you don't see the treasure, the Bible said it can be squandered and lost. You don't see the treasure in your marriage. You lose the best thing that ever came into your life. Amen. There are three dimensions to prosperity. Listen to this. There's enough. There's abundance. And then there is real wealth. And so many people are content to live just at the enough stage. You know, I've got enough. Remember, Esau is going to meet Jacob. And Jacob is terrified because he's told Esau's birthright. And he knows Esau has been nurturing this grudge and wanted to kill him all of these years. So Jacob wrestles with an angel that is actually a theophany. It is a physical manifestation of the eternal mighty God, Yahweh, Jehovah God. And Jacob the next morning starts sending these herds and droves of cattle, flocks of sheep and goats over to meet Esau first. But in the meanwhile, God's already been touched the night before and prevailed upon and Esau's heart has been changed and he's no longer angry and when he meets Jacob this is what he asks what are all these things that I see coming these herds and these flocks and Jacob says they're a gift to you my brother and Esau says I don't need it I've got enough everybody say enough if you're living below that level right now that's not where God wants you to be God wants you to at least have enough, but then to move beyond that level to a higher dimension. Don't stop at enough. I will never forget in Wimbledon, and I'll show you how generational thinking is necessary to reach beyond that level and grow beyond it to what true wealth is. True wealth means abundance to such a degree that you can't even spend it all in your generation. Amen. And I was staying in the Wimbledon area of England preaching a conference and they brought me back from the venue one day and we were staying at a hotel that was actually converted. It used to be the the country manor before London spread out of noblemen. They were wealthy people. And as I was pulling in with a taxi, before I got out, a Rolls Royce pulled in and I mean a guy got out and he was straight up the typical 
English gentleman, you know. He's got the tweed coat on with the leather patches and he's got his head held like this. And, and we got to the door at the same time and he said, good day, sir. How are you today? I said, I'm fine very much. Thank you. And he said, and he stuck his hand out. I'm Lord so-and-so. Well, he had me on that one. I wanted to say, I'm Lord Richard. How are you? I couldn't. And he said, I'm so glad that you're staying at my hotel. He said, this was the manner of the estate. And he said, we've had it in our family for many generations. Yes, indeed. Spot on, governor. Shall we have tea? Amen. It was so funny. It was like straight up out of a, of a movie. And I, I did everything. I, I, I took everything I could not to laugh. But then I got to thinking about it. There was a reason that he had that. Somebody way back then had been successful enough that they managed a dream that was bigger than one generation and passed it on to successive generations. Amen. You need to be so blessed that your kids are blessed and your grandchildren are blessed. There's a treasure in your house. And it's up to you to develop it and grow those children and impart into them the right values so that they can be what they need to be. You don't just need to live to pay the bills and that's enough. Think beyond that generationally to future generations and plan for your children's lives. I think of the story of the little boy and Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a few fishes and loaves. And everybody always focuses on what Jesus did, rightfully so. He broke a few fishes and loaves and fed 5,000 men. God only knows how many women and children. Probably upwards of 20,000 people. But nobody ever looks at the mother that sent the boy out the, out the door First, putting the loaves and fishes in his basket. And my question is, what are you putting in your children's baskets? What are you putting in them? What are you gifting them with? What are you instilling in them? Oh, I feel the Lord in this place. What values are you inculcating into them? Well, they will grow up. And their gifts will be broken and shared among thousands. They can impact the world. But it's up to you to put those gifts in them. And to do this, you need to teach your kids to rely on God. And right there, I needed a real big amen. Amen. You need to rely, teach them to rely on God. You need to put God first in your life, be in the house of God. Have your kids in the house of God so they recognize the value of God's word and the spirit of God in their life. Amen. You really do. You really do. You see what we did years ago, generations ago, we made a tacit agreement with the government that they would raise our kids for us. You say, how do, how do you mean that? We send them to school every day. And the teachers raise our kids. And then when they get home, because both husband and wife now have to work to make it, we park them in front of a TV set. And so Hollywood takes over educating our kids after they get home from school. I want to ask you a question. If a sewer line broke near your house and it was filling your living room and the kitchen and the dining room 
with raw sewage, would you do anything about it? Of course you would. Well, that's what happens every single day that you're not monitoring that television that is sitting there. It's pumping filth into your home and you need to monitor that. I'm preaching better than some of you are responding right now. I can tell you that. This is not an oh me, oh my moment. It's time for you to say, I got it. I'm going to check the value of the treasure that's in my house. And I'm going to make sure that I don't squander it. We wonder how in the world kids can grow up in our homes and do some of the things they end up doing. When we have altogether different values. It's because we leave those values up to somebody else. You say, but I brought my kids to church. Yeah, wonderful, hooray. Pat on the shoulder, hooray. Because that means you had them in the house of God one and a half hours out of 168 hours in the week. And they were in school, how many hours? And in front of a TV, how many hours? Can I really preach to you like I feel like preaching here this morning? Amen. And some of that stuff they're teaching on TV right now is directly counter to what you and I know the Word of God teaches. Disney. Walt Disney would roll over in his grave right now. That's not the days of Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier, like it used to be. We're not there anymore. Dorothy, this isn't Kansas. It isn't. I mean, when you've got entire nations that are banning the latest Disney movie and Christians are taking their children to see it. Oh, Jesus, help. I'm meddling now. Y'all forgive me. I'm just, I'm going to get down in somebody's business. Okay. You know, (laughs) y'all direct your attention that way. I'm going to slip out this way in a few minutes. Amen. The biggest guys in the church, I would like for you to form a circle around me when I leave. That kind of a deal. It's not the school's responsibility to teach your kids. And we can't undo in an hour and a half what everything else has done the rest of the week. We simply cannot do it. Psalm 78 verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Who? The fathers are to make known to the children. The parents are to make known to the children. Not the church. Not the school. It starts in the home. Why? That the generation to come might know them. Do you know what that tells me? That if we do not inculcate our values into our children, the next generation will not embrace them at all. For the next generation to know them, we have to share them. How many of you know what a mezuzah is? Can I see your hand? Anybody? One, two, keep raising them, raise them. I just want to see three, four, keep raising, raising one, five, six, keep raising, raising. Mezuzah. Visit a Jewish home. There on the door, on the left-hand side, from about head level down to heart level, you will find there's a little ornamental object that is... No, longer than it is wide. You know what it is? 
Inside of it is a rolled up scroll of Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. And every practicing Jew puts those on the entrance to the door of their house. And those that are Orthodox Jews put them on all the other doors in the house. You know why? It's because to get in that house, you got to go by the word of God. And to leave that house, you leave letting the devil know I'm coming out with the word of God in my heart and in my life to govern my steps. But I'll tell you what else it does. It says what happens in this house, this house will be governed by the teachings of the word of God. And that's not all. It also lets the devil know. See that devil? For you to get in my house and disturb my family, you got to get by the word of God first and you can't do it. The word of God stands when everything else fails all around us. And when you build your home on the principles of the word of God, you preserve the treasure that is your children. Amen. I go on just a little bit further because I've got, I've got, my time is gone. Thirdly, you have a treasure in your relationship with God and with his word. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 52, he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed, you get that word instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. What does that mean? It means there's a treasure in your house and for you to bring it out, you need to receive instruction. Oh, wow. The key to receiving and enjoying the benefit of this treasure then is instruction. And that can be instruction from the Holy Spirit, instruction in church. It could be instruction in a Bible study, your own devotional. That is an astonishing passage of scripture. Because what it does is it tells us that to the same extent that we hunger for and receive instruction in the things of the kingdom of God, to that same extent or measure, we will receive the treasure of the kingdom. No hunger, no instruction. Because you can hear it and go one in and out, ear and one out and go straight out the other. But if you hunger for it, it goes like this. Boom, takes a vertical turn down right into your heart. Or some would say vertical turn upward. Whichever, doesn't matter. You get my point. Amen. What is the treasure of the kingdom? Treasure of the kingdom is to know Christ and to abide in him. I'm profoundly moved when I say that. Because the apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 3 that he counted everything in his life worthless compared to this. He had two doctoral degrees, the equivalent of by the time he was 22. Many believe that he was actually the son-in-law of the high priest. You say, well, Paul wasn't married. He said he had the power to lead around a wife. Yeah, she left him, according to some, when he converted to Christianity on the road to Damascus. Here's the thing. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The law forbids you to be a member of the Sanhedrin unless you were married. So something happened. He was the guy they laid the clothing, the garments at, the feet of when they stoned Stephen to death at the order of the Sanhedrin. He was their representative on sight. And this is what he says with all of his great education and ability and connections. He said, I counted all loss that I may gain him, the treasure that is in him. I found a treasure that is so good. I'll sell everything else I have and go by the fields. That's what I'm going to do. I'll get rid of everything else that I can know Christ. Do you realize how valuable that is? 
that spaceship that they sent up with that telescope on it that just unfurled and sent back its first photos this week. The White House was showing them and they're stunning and science is ooing and aahing and they're, they see halfway into the universe right now. Trillions of galaxies, galaxies we didn't even know existed. You have the option and the ability to be in relationship with the one who created all of that with the spoken word of his mouth. That blows my mind that he would care about me, some little insignificant speck of dust. No wonder David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He was overwhelmed by that. The treasure that is in the word. You see, God's words, oftentimes we need instruction to be able to understand them. I do. I'm in my devotions constantly. I want, to, I want to receive. I want to know this treasure. I know you do too. That's why you're here. There's an amazing story that comes from the Jewish Talmud. And I'm not saying it's part of the Bible. Don't even, can't vouch for 100% that it happened. But it goes all the way back to hundreds of years before Christ. And it is said that Elisha was working miracles. And a rabbi, a Jewish scholar, wanted to follow him and ask. And Elisha said no. And he said, please, let me follow you. I want to know about God. And he said, but that's the problem. If you follow me, you will see me do things that you will question and you will not believe in them and you won't be able to continue with me because some things have to take a little time before you understand the explanation. And the rabbi said, please, please let me. I won't question a thing you do. I promise until you're ready to give me the full explanation. And Elisha, so they say, agreed. And they come to a widow's house and she's got one child and she's got a cow. And that's it. Dirt poor. And she gives them the only food in the house for them to eat their meal. And she and her son go hungry. And Elisha the prophet is rude and gruff to her. Doesn't even say thank you. Kiss my foot. Have a good day. Gets up the next morning and walks out the door. Again, no word of thanks. And she's got this one scrawny cow. And he turns and she depends on that cow to give milk. For her son. And the prophet turns and says, Let the angel of death take this cow. And boom, it falls over dead. And the rabbi is like, No, I, I, I didn't just see and hear that. But because of his commitment, he doesn't say anything. And they journey on to a wealthy man's house that night and come to his estate and knock on the gate. And he comes out and he gruffly, Yes, what do you want? And we seek lodging for the night. Oh, I guess so. He's rude, mean. Instead of taking them into the home to show them Middle Eastern hospitality, he puts them in the servants' quarters. They are given the remnants from his table. And the next morning, the prophet gets up. He's chatted that evening amiably, amicably with the the. The, the, the owner of the estate, he gets up the next morning, still kind, smiling, and the guy's gruff and mean, and the workmen are repairing a courtyard, and the prophet walks over and says, wait, guys, you don't need to pull up all these stones to fix this problem. There was a problem, and he showed them how to repair the courtyard without tearing everything up, and by now, the rabbi was livid 
They walked out of the gate and the rabbi said, I am done. I know I said I would not question, but I cannot keep silent. What you did is unconscionable. You went to that widow's house. She was kind to you. You were rude to her. And you asked God to kill her cow. And that's that, that widow depended upon that cow for, for milk for her child. We ate the last of her food. And you didn't even say thank you. And then you come to this guy's house. And he's rude and he's nasty and he's mean. And he treats us with contempt and doesn't show us honor. And then you help him save money by showing the workmen how to repair the courtyard without pulling up the stones. I am done. You're not a man of God. I'm finished. And the prophet turned and said, I told you you would not understand. Because his ways are higher above our ways than we are able to grasp. The widow lady, what you don't know is I went there because her son was going to die. And she showed us kindness and I entreated the Lord. And I may not have talked because I was in intercession with God. And the next morning I asked God to take the cow rather than the son. And the rich man, he did treat us with contempt. And what you don't know is there is a vast treasure hidden under the stones in his courtyard. And if the workmen dig up those stones, they will find it and he is not worthy of the treasure. So I showed them how to repair the courtyard where they will never find the treasure that is hidden there. God instruct me in your ways. What are you doing in my life right now that I don't understand? God, what are you doing in my marriage right now that I don't understand? What am I walking through in my health, in my life that I don't understand? God, I may not know what it is, but I can trust you. I can trust your commitment to me. I can trust your insight. I can trust your heart. I can trust you. And I close. I really am. Thank you for being patient just a moment longer. You can continue to play because I'm done. Psalms 119 verse 162 said, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. There's a treasure in this book. There's a treasure. And you need to pass it on to your kids. You and your wife need to talk about what's in this book. Live your life by the principles of this book. I was coming back from Africa one night and I came through Entebbe Airport for a connection with KLM. And I've told this story here. I think it was in the other building. And I told it after it happened. And they called us forward to board. And then all of a sudden, after we got in that, that open area, we're boarding. It's not like the airports here where you just walk right on the gangway. There was a separate holding area. And we walked there and they said, stop, you can't board. It's going to be a few more minutes. And we waited 15 minutes, maybe 30. And so the people around were talking and, and a man standing beside me that apparently was with a group turned to me and said, hi, sir, how are you? And I said, I'm great. How are you doing? And he said, we're, we're great. And he asked, do you come here often? I said, I, I come through here once in a while. But ministry son, David Wacko, that's 
that's G- down south of Jinja, a place called Toledo, and he has several churches. And he said, well, I'm with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Wycliffe Bible Translators, rather. And he had a group of people. And he said, you probably know that our vision is to have a translation of the Bible for every language in the world, every language of every people group. I said, yes, I think that's amazing. I asked him, what brings you to Africa? He said, well, all of these are people that contributed to the printing of a Bible in the language of a tribe in central Congo. So we just got here from Congo. We're going back home. And he said, these are the people that made that possible. And we came over to dedicate that Bible in their language. And he said, it was such a joyous occasion. The people were weeping and crying and They were so glad to have a Bible in their language. And while he's saying that, my heart is just gripping me because I'm thinking, oh, God, help us to value your word like that. And I said, yes, the Bible is amazing. And I'm thinking of all of these scriptures like this one I just read and and others where I esteem your word more than my necessary food. And and so we start talking about the treasure of the Bible. And he said, yes. He said, something happened in China. We just got word the other day about it. Said there was a prisoner in a prison in the interior of China. And he wasn't a Christian. He was just a, a prisoner, a criminal. And he did something in the prison that upset the prison authorities and as punishment they put him to cleaning the dirty latrines in the guards quarters and I'm not talking about with modern plumbing either I'm talking about filthy that was his punishment and one day he's down there cleaning the latrines and he sees a piece of paper folded and wadded up and he picks it up and he washes the filth off and he sees the name Jesus and he washes it clean and puts it in the waistband of his prison uniform and the next day there's another and the next day a couple of others and so forth until the period of his punishment was over and he had gotten the entire gospel of John and he asked him can I please remain cleaning the toilets I said you're free to go back in the prison population now the general population and he said no if you don't mind I'd love to just stay and clean your toilets. And they laughed at him and mocked him like a crazy man. This is filthy. He said, I'll do it. And he collected nearly the entire Bible. Amen. And this is what is amazing. On the basis of that, without any preaching, he became a Christian and gave his heart to God. And became a pastor in prison in the interior of China. How much do you love the word of God? Enough to We don't have to do that. We've got them on our iPads and our phones and would you stand with me? God help me to love your word. You have a treasure in this church too. You really do. We'll talk about that today. But there's a lot of prayer that goes up in this place. Prayer can stop a lot of things. You don't even know it. This week, somebody came up at 2.30 this morning, got up on the roof and tore one of the very expensive air conditioners. Took the coil, threw it down, dragged it off. They were tearing up another. And you know what stopped them? 
Rodney Sims, our prayer pastor, was walking around praying and they heard him and it scared them and they leave. Prayer scares the devil off that's making havoc in your life. Prayer works. So what do you do with the treasures in your life? Recognize them. My God, don't lose them. Don't squander them. I'm pleading with somebody right now. Somebody that you've been in the... You've been, you've been busy throwing away the treasure in your life and you think the wealth is over there when it's, you're getting rid of it and setting it by the road. Again, I understand there are circumstances. And I pray for you if you've ever gone through that or will. But you're throwing treasure away. What you ought to be doing, number two, is working on making them more valuable. I can have lumber stacked up here from the floor to the ceiling, and it has value. But let me build a house out of it, and now it's really valuable. And the third thing is defend and protect it. Don't let it be stolen. Don't let it be stolen. Don't let it be stolen. I'm asking our prayer counselors to come right now. You have a treasure in your children. You have a treasure in your marriage. You have a treasure in your relationship with God and His Word. You have a treasure. You know what I want to do today? I want families to come. Before we do, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Is there somebody here who needs Christ in their life? Raise your hand right where you are and say, I need God. God bless you, sir. Keep raising them. All hands going up. Come on, keep raising them. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands in the back. God bless you. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. Father, I pray for every one of these that need you in their life. At home, if there's somebody watching, save them. Write their names in the book of life. Come into their heart. Make them yours. And today we confess that you're our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's have a party for a moment for everyone that just prayed that prayer. Come on. I need to hear somebody shout. Let's have a party. Hallelujah. God bless you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. Do three other things. Get water baptized. Follow the instructions of our Lord. Obedience to his commands. Be baptized. Wonderful name of our Lord. Number two. Be filled full of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You need to be Feel full of the Holy Spirit that you may live the Spirit-empowered life. And number three, become a serious disciple of Jesus. And that means a student. And they're putting up on the screen right now the word join. Just text it to the number. Capture the QR codes. You can follow the instructions. And you can daily receive a devotional. I write one for every day of the week. And we have over 2,000 families that go to the foot of the cross together in morning devotions. And we'd love to have you be a part. It doesn't cost you a dime. And now this is what I want you to do. 
I want our families to come. And if you don't have a family, come for the family you're going to have. Would you take your wife by the hand? Amen. Your husband, you may not have talked to them on the way to church, but take them by the hand right now. Or what you said when you were driving up in the parking lot, you might not want anybody to hear. But grab them by the hand. Come on, let's pray. We're going to pray for families. We're going to pray for protection. We're going to pray for covering. We're going to pray for blessing. We're going to pray for grace. You're here today and you're single. Hey, come on, join us. Unless you intend to be single for the rest of your life. Amen. Amen. You may fall in love someday. Fall. Ooh. Someday I'm going to preach a message on help. I've fallen and I can't get up. Amen. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these incredible people. We have a treasure in this church. I thank you for letting me serve and be pastor here all these years and for the incredible staff we have that work with me shoulder to shoulder and all the unbelievably valuable leaders and volunteers and people that pursue this vision together. God, I want you to cover them. I want you to protect them. I want you to cover every family with your grace and with your love. And Satan, I'm letting you know right now the word of God is against you. The blood of Jesus is against you. The name of Jesus is against you. The power of prayer and fasting is against you. You cannot have our families. You can't have our kids. You cannot. Instead, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do the best job we can defending our kids, making sure they have the right friends and not the wrong ones, imparting godly values into them every chance we get. Lord, I also claim that the enemy will not steal our spouses, that we won't let them be stolen. I just feel this in the Holy Spirit. Some of you have done some stuff that have messed up your family. Why don't you just stop right now and say, I'm sorry, I repent, I've done wrong. I want to protect my family and start with God. And it's not really repentance if you keep doing the same thing over and over. So make an effort. Make an effort name of Jesus help me to value what you've put in my life because it is valuable I need some ladies to say the devil can't have my husband I need some men to say the devil can't have my wife I'm going to be a priest in my family I'm going to stand up I'm going to build the wall while I have a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. I'm going to defend my family in the name of Jesus. God, give me eyes to see the value of the treasure. A heart to understand. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you may never find Jean Lafitte's treasure at Contraband Bayou in Lake Charles. 
And you might not ever find the lost Dutchman mine. But you've got a treasure in your life. Go home and figure out what it is. Amen. I love you so much. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name.